It's life on life's terms. Again, the Life on Life's Terms podcast. We're back. Yes, we missed Live. a week. We missed a week. Yeah. Um, I'm Tom Robinson, and uh, we're not affiliated with any 12-step program. I'm Chris Mandeville, and we're here at the New Way Recovery Center in Quincy, Mass, on Quincy Ave. And they are having their uh, third annual wellness fair on Sunday, September 23rd from 10 to 2. Um, so if you are looking for something to do, uh, they're going to have hot dogs, hamburgers, a dunk tank. Um, we may show up. Yeah, we may we, show we up might, with microphones. We might do a broadcast. We'll see. Um, That'd be kind of sick doing it. Yeah, doing a, absolutely. Yeah. A live one? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, we're live now, but... Um, like, really live. Yes. <laughs> like live wire. What do we got? We got a little pop-up ad. Do we have the... Ethernet on there? No, we don't. Boom. So All right, so going. slight technical difficulties, guys. Sorry about that. So um, we have Chris here today. Chris and Chris. Oh, look, I'm bleeding. Son of a gun. Get my Band-Aid, Chris. Yeah, a wet one? Maybe a baby wipe. It's uh, the blue one, right? No, I have the blue Oh, the black one's in your bag. Is that true? Or am I lying? Sorry, everybody. Right here. All right. Yeah, my bad. Forgot one, one wire. See? And I jinxed us because I had said everything went so smooth. I told you. Remember I said that? Yeah, yeah, you did. Bad news. So anyway, um, all right. We'll just wait till Chris gets uh, gets us. Uh, What's that connect you live for? Um, that's connect, Yeah, into the internet to the for the YouTube feed. One wire. YouTube. Yeah. Now, sponsors brought by Smart Water and YouTube. <laughs> Smart Water. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sorry about that. Um. Yeah, so tonight we have Chris. Uh, he's going to share his experience, strength, and hope with us, and uh, take it from there. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Chris Perkins. I'm an alcoholic. I um born and raised in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Um, family of five, uh, mother and father, um, worked very hard to provide us with anything they needed, anything we needed as children growing up in the in the city of Boston. Uh, my father was a, a union contractor. My mother worked in uh, social, service, um, social services, uh, helping people um, adopt an agency, the whole nine. Um, nice. So did, did you guys have, like, foster kids in your house and stuff, too? Or? Uh, no, other than my brother Donald was adopted yeah. uh, at the age of five. And then uh, before I was born, 
Obviously, I was the accident because I went <laughs> two brothers and two sisters, and then I came along. I was like, yeah. what's up, man? Yep. And, um, <laughs> you know, I ended up being the black sheep, you know, for the most part. Yeah. And um, Last but not least. Yeah, last but not least. Yeah, my brother just took a very impact on my mother uh, when she was working in that department, and uh, took, she took him home. Kept yeah. Him. So yeah, it was my mother's always. That's beautiful. so. That's where that's I've, a cool thing. I've I've learned later in life uh, where I get this heart from, like helping people, is from my mother mostly. Yeah, um, yeah. You know? That's so, good that you had like that type of influence, you know. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, typically growing up in Dorchester, that's not. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? Type I, of thing, yeah. I hate the stereotype, but it is what no, it go is. Ahead. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, yeah. like. Oh yeah, you want something to cry about here? You know. Yeah, basically, it's um, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty fun growing up, but it was very, very rough. You know, father was an alcoholic himself. Um, you know, I grew up in an Irish uh, battleship, you know, a triple decker, and um, <laughs> there was nothing but war that went on on a daily basis in that house. And um, oh yeah, you know, as a kid, I was very. Um, very fearful, man. I was very just uncomfortable, as far as I remember. I used to cut class in third grade. Uh, I mean, who does that? Really? In third yeah. grade? Third yeah, grade. third the grade. Question, the real question is, how would you get away with that? I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care. You didn't get away with it. I would get away with it for the moment, and then uh, I It'd would... Catch you in the hallway? Yeah. Like, Where would, are you going? No, I would get out of the school. I just would catch uh, the belt when I got home. Uh, oh, yeah. And all the wooden spoon. Yep. Yeah. My mom had... It said on it, Mom's Helping Hand, and it was a wooden hand. <laughs> and she kept it right next to We had an oven in the wall and a stove top, and she kept it right next to it, and it got a little charred from cooking. So <laughs> I think it made it a little harder. <laughs> but, awesome. yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, so I, um, yeah, I was cutting school in third grade, man. I was uh, just... I wasn't comfortable being around people, man. I was just, uh, I didn't like school. I didn't like learning. I was just a very uh, fearful, active kid, um, as I found on later on in life, hanging on the corner and, uh, and in sobriety as well. So as I, um, as I got older, you know, the tradition growing up in Dorchester was to hang on a corner and, uh, and drink, you know what I mean, especially on summer nights. It was a... Uh, it was a thing to do, and uh, I was a kid that everyone turned to to get a runner because, you know, I was same size I was then, maybe a little thinner. Um, so everyone would give me their money to get alcohol yeah. for them, and uh, <laughs> which was probably a lot easier then. Oh, you know? sure, yeah. I loved it because uh, I never had to pay all that leftover money I used for my own alcohol. Yeah, and um, you know that was <laughs> prior. That was probably thirteen to sixteen. I was able to buy legal alcohol at the age of 16 in liquor stores. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember one of the first times I drank, uh, it was like a friend of mine was, I was 13, a friend of mine was 14, and somebody who was 16 got it for him. And it was like, how do you keep that? You don't. You don't keep it out of people's hands if they want. Oh, no way. Absolutely not. No way. You ain't keeping anything out of anyone's hands today. That's right. Money talks and alcohol walks, so I mean. Yeah. Back then, they didn't really care. As long as you looked of age, they would sell it to you. Not to mention, um, a lot of people knew who my father was because you know, he dragged me in and out of the bars in the liquor stores as yeah. a kid. 
Dude, yeah. I had a fake ID to say I was like five foot four and three hundred pounds or something. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It was totally not me at all. I rem- I remember the first yep. time I tried using someone else's ID, the guy's like, Hey, what's your zodiac sign? I was like, What? <laughs> yeah, forget it. <laughs> I ain't getting it, thanks. Uh, yeah, I used my cousin's ID and I got caught with it years later and um it was just a, a cop, union competitor's ID. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and he had a beard, and I looked like him. So even today, if you run my name in Dorchester, it comes up as his alias. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. And like yeah. I come up as his when he gets his name ran, if we do. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully yeah. that's not happening no, today. No, well, if you get pulled over, more yeah. or less. But, right. But for the most part, yeah, so that's basically how it started. Was um, was drinking on the corner down the park. Uh, I was the type of kid that loved to party I, I would go from corner to corner and try to like just get that uh you know that feeling of um welcomeness from other people especially yeah. uh throwing keg parties like because um it's a gathering of people that do the same thing you do and um you know and if everyone shows up you drink for free right so um mm. so it was basically you know tit and tat you know playing um had to go seek from the cops drinking, you know. They take yeah. you off one corner, you go to the next, you go to the next, so the, down the park, and then, uh, mm. you know, things escalated. That uh, that line got crossed at some point. Um, I played sports a lot growing up. I played a lot of hockey. Um, started skating at the age of two, and um, I still that, can't skate. No, no. Nope. <laughs> milk crates. Yeah, milk, milk crates. Yeah, I'll be yeah. I'll be forty six tomorrow, crates, and I still can't ice skate. <laughs> so I. Um, that was my way out of um, of Dorchester, Boston. Um, my friends, all that was uh, was hockey. That was my outlet. I played it um, every day, every night. Played on multiple teams, um, and it escalated. I, I got pretty far with it for the most part. Um, I played soccer to stay in shape for hockey. Ended up going to Germany for Junior Olympics. Um, mm. Won a bronze medal, and uh, wow. Was on, and even then, alcohol took place. Back that was then, for, for for soccer. For soccer, yes. And um, they used to sell. I don't know if they still do. In Germany, they sold uh, liquor newsstands, and and the drinking age basically was sixteen at the time, and I think, or eighteen. But we looked eighteen, sixteen year old. So we we still drank, even though we had something that was so meaningful on the line. We were representing the United States of America, <laughs> and right. My, right. Me and my friends looked at each other like they sent us. I know. Like, what's right. wrong with them? <laughs> right, right. Like, what's uh, wrong with them? Like, like the opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah, but, absolutely. But also, like, I think, I'm not saying that alcoholism is different in other parts of the world, but, like, when it comes to people drinking, like, Italy and stuff, kid, kids drink wine with meals. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's more acceptable. It's, it's yeah. way more accepted. It's weird, right? So I don't, I don't know if it's like because we can't do it, we gravitate towards it more. Like in other countries where the drinking age is lower and it's you know part of the culture, you know, pe- people maybe don't fuck up like we do. <laughs> I <don't> know. <laughs> you know, I think it still happens. It probably yeah, happens it de- I mean, it yeah. definitely happens. It's this. If you're an alcoholic, you're an alcoholic, regardless can you, can of where you're from. Can you imagine, though, if it was like, I don't know, opium or something like that, instead of alcohol, like, al- like 
Alcohol, basically, there's no difference between alcohol and any other drug. It's a drug. It's a terrible drug. Yeah. It gets you real fucked up, you know, yep. and, and, it, and it really is bad for your health and, uh, and all that stuff. Can you imagine if some, there was something else that would, like, we can't even comprehend it. That was socially acceptable? Was socially and yeah. well, everywhere like that. Are, you know I mean? they, they smoke opium to, like, as family events. I, I know a guy that's sober um, in California. His family, he was afraid to go home on on vacation on family events because he thought he was going to be forced to smoke opium. Wow. wow that's wild. So it's that much of yeah, their it's, culture. It's wow. like a family oriented thing. They basically, that's all they do because alcohol is illegal in those countries. Imagine wow. Like, imagine like a wedding. They fuck, you know, everybody's <laughs> like, <laughs> instead of toasting the bride, they're like smoke. Everybody takes a hit of crack. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, aluminum can, they're poking holes in them. Yeah, <laughs> the, pot, the the favors that you get are like a glass tube <laughs> with a rose in it and a piece oh, of chore boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now uh, everybody light up. I would imagine that happens only in Detroit, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know, Brockton, it might happen yeah, too. <laughs> Brockton is our Detroit. Yes, Anyways, yes. Um, so yeah, I am um, basically. Um, Involved alcohol in that situation and uh, always did. Same thing with hockey. We um, went up for a, a very big national tournament um, in St. Louis and the team won. Uh, we stole a keg from from the hockey arena. Uh, nobody got a tap, so everyone went to bed because we couldn't tap the keg. Oh. What, <laughs> what happened? Yeah, if you had a tap, you were the man. So, so what happened? Uh, if you owned your own, with, yes. Uh, with that, leaving an alcoholic in a room with a keg with no tap, I found a way and a solution. So Absolutely. I put on a pair of uh, swimming goggles, a trash bag, and I got a screwdriver. <laughs> and I got. It. <laughs> I put the thing in the tub, and I, I got in that thing like a bowl, and I, I deflated all the all the CO two pressure in the keg till the alcohol was flowing nicely. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, Brilliant. I banged on everyone's door and woke them all up and we continued to finish that keg and uh, we didn't stop there I, I, the great idea after that was to raid the alcohol in the parents room the parent nice. function room where they had hard alcohol oh and, yeah uh, you know I didn't stop from there we, uh, I convinced everyone I might have not been the leader of this but I definitely encouraged it we went to a 24 hour diner and uh, we chewed and screwed about 30 of us, maybe 25 of us. <laughs> this is in uh, Germany? No, this is in St. Louis. Oh, in St. Louis. And uh, we all have the same jumpsuits on with our names on them <laughs> from, from where we're from. And, like, oh, granted, man. The only, the only thing that was going on in that town at that time was a national tournament. Right, you know right. I mean? So, <laughs> so like, it wasn't hard. So it wasn't hard to figure out where we were. And uh, So anyways, somebody was left in the bathroom, and he ended up getting caught, and telling on everyone but it was um it was fun for the most part yeah i mean eventually i'll have to do a financial amends in st louis if i can find that place but you know mm. we'll see when that day comes yeah right but um <laughs> yeah i got a bill for 25 people i want to pay <laughs> um, oh, i got a guy i got a kid coming on here who'll talk about a financial amends that he owned up to over a hundred thousand dollars Right? That's he was, insane. He was willing to go to jail to stay sober. We'll, we'll get into that in a yeah. little bit. <laughs> 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 I yeah. might have a trump card for that conversation. But um, So, yeah, just to not get too much in my drunk log, I basically um, 
you know, uh, thought it was a great idea to uh, take Klonopins and drive a snowmobile um, up in yeah. New Hampshire. Those oh, things yeah. made me a banana head. I mean, I was so out of it. Mind erasers and case oh, catches. My oh, goodness. my God. They were my favorite. Cause I yeah. was Back in the day, I loved them. Talk but, to heckle Mr. Hyde. I was yeah. just like, I was releasing the beast when I was on those things. I <laughs> oh, even, yeah. I couldn't even do it. I I, uh, I relapsed, and I got some dope with a kid one time, and he um, he gave me a Kamalanapin. He said, I do it with this. And I was like, I don't know about that. So I put it in the aspirin. Well, about a month later, I actually had a headache, and I shake the aspirin out, and out in my hand comes the Kamalanapin. <laughs> I'm like, oh! And I popped that thing. I'll tell you what, that thing. That made me so Dude, we had we had a good connection over at uh Cedar Sinai, old age home. The security guy would bring us the punch outs. Oh. The one with the K yeah, out of K the middle. Cuts. Yeah, those are the, the best. cards. He'd yeah. bring full cards and oh my god. <laughs> yeah, time travelers is what I Yeah, it. yeah. I forget uh, where, what where did I go? Yeah. Where have I been? I remember me and my girlfriend and and her friend and another kid, we went out. To, for pizza, pitches of beer and pizza, and I was like so messed up. I sat, oh. got up, sat down with the wrong table. I remember, I'm sitting there looking at the guy. The guy's like, <laughs> "Yeah, so embarrassing. No idea what's going on. Yeah. Those things are brutal, and that's you know prescription. Yeah, here you go. Yeah, yeah exactly. We'll give you, a, right, right, yeah, you have anxiety. Here you go. Forget your name and where you live. <laughs> absolutely it's insanity it's just uh, I, I used to think I was invisible I'd be oh, in the store stealing and, and I, would, like. I was the best thief ever yeah. with those things yeah it was yeah. just it was ridiculous it, the amount of um, criminal activity I got into with clonopinches case catches that's yeah, what I call unknown I would wake up mm. in jail and not what I not know what I got charged with yep and um, Ooh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a I was very fortunate <laughs> yeah, for the things that I've done, right? Uh, yeah. On on a pin blackout. So that being said, I um, so I thought it was a great idea to eat a couple Klonopins and uh, drive a snowmobile. Um, so I I was trying to hit a jump uh, around a corner and uh, I I looped back around and tried to catch it as fast as I could, and I was going seventy miles an hour at the time. Wow! And uh, I hit a patch of black ice and slid off the road. Hit a tree, bounced off another tree, uh, snapped my back, and oh, um, was put in a wheelchair from there on out for about six months. And um, and in comes the painkillers. Yeah. And then in comes the painkillers. Uh, introduced to oxycontins, and um, yeah. at the time I uh, I couldn't play hockey anymore. I had to finish high school in a wheelchair, and. Um, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Oh that must have been terrible. Oh, it was emotionally, it must have been. Oh yeah, terrific. Especially in the winter, trying to wheel yourself around. The now, were they telling you you were never getting out, or are they saying no? They said it's just going to be very slow, slow recovery, very very slow process. If 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 you are going to ever walk again, it will probably be a very slow process. So, um, so yeah, I was, as a high school kid, I was feeding uh, painkillers for everything. I had uh, very bad nerve damage. Um, I couldn't hold anything in my hand without it violently shaking out. So I had uh, neuropathy, ner- nerve damage. So I was on Valiums as well. Mm, nice. And uh, so, you know, things looked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just forgot yeah. about everything. Yeah, just got numb for a while. And then, uh, you know, physical therapy started and I, I got better and uh, my alcoholism got worse. Um, you know, I was able to walk and stuff uh, to get my diploma and uh, 
have a high school graduation party, which was at my house, and um, about a hundred other people in Dorchester, and people just throwing up on the couches. And so that was that was oh. your introduction to opiates. <laughs> yeah, was, was through a doctor. Was through doctors, prescription drugs. I mean, I dabbled a little bit on the street with my friends, but nothing to severely where I had to take them nonstop on a daily basis. Yeah, and then mm. like. You don't even realize you have a habit. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I, I I went to the hospital the first time I was sick. Yeah, I was opiate sick, and uh, they just had a, had a lot of anxiety, and I was dehydrated. I said, "This isn't anxiety. I don't know what you're talking about." Yeah, my skin was peeling. You know what I mean? I didn't know what was going on. And then my buddy's like, "You're uh, you're dope sick, dude." Oh, they, you were dope sick, and they told you you had anxiety. Yeah, the hospital. Damn right, I have anxiety. Yeah. I'm fucking dope sick. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so my buddy's like, "Yeah, just sniff this," and it went away instantly. So, from that point on, yeah. uh, up until uh, years later, six, seven years, uh, I didn't go without that thickness whenever I couldn't. I um, was one of those kids that would never say that he would do heroin, but uh, I was shit faced drunk. <laughs> Uh, one day in South Boston, stumbling on a triple O's, I believe. Mm. When triple O's was triple O's, and uh, I stumbled down Broadway stairs. And uh, if if you know what Broadway stairs, it's like a, mm. like the gates to a hell. Lot, a lot it's just, of stairs. Yeah, it's a lot of stairs. <laughs> so I, I I hit the bottom of all of them. And, wow. Uh, and got back up. And my buddy lived above um, triple O's at the time, and um, I went up there and asked him if he had any uh, oxycontins and. Uh, Said, yeah, because no. they were everywhere back then, back I'm sure. Then, yeah, they were everywhere. And he goes, no, I have this. And he goes, it's dope. I was like, well, no, I never said I would do that. But, I mean, I guess to cure my pain so I can get home, I'll do a line. And um, I was off and running from there. Yeah, next thing so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was cheaper. It was it was Stronger. It was, for me, it was basic economics. Like, yeah. why would I spend $7,000 in three weeks on pills? You know, or pay eighty bucks for one pill when I can buy ten bags of dope for eighty bucks. Yeah. Absolutely. Why would I do that? Right. Absolutely. And back then there was uh bundles. <laughs> yeah. Bundles. I can yeah. get a brick for two fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. just and, and sold some to your friends so you yeah. made your money back. Yeah, yeah. Get so my dope for free. for free. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> so you got higher, a lot higher, because you know, everyone knows what oxycontins. Once you take it, your body adapts to it, and you never get any. You don't get high anymore. Yeah, you just maintain. And the same thing with every drug and alcohol. Uh, and um, so I basically got higher. I, I spent less money, and um, I was never sick for for a good amount of time. Yeah. Well, the lie is that because it's from a doctor, it's like better somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You tell yourself it's, that you're not an addict or an alcoholic. Because no, these are prescriptions. prescriptions. Right. <laughs> and I guess with the fentanyl that's in dope these days, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's debatable. It might be safer, I guess. But you're going to end up, like you say, basic economics. You're going to end up on dope eventually. Uh, I mean, now, like, you can get, like, a pound of fentanyl for, like, four grand. Yeah, I can pay to paying, like, 40000 for yeah. a pound of, like, heroin. Yep. I mean, these days, wow. there's no more heroin. It's all fentanyl. People, yeah, right. I mean, right. you just hear about people getting caught with hundreds of pounds of, or kilos of, of fentanyl coming through the border. You know yeah, I, mean? Very I think... easier and cheaper to make. I think via Facebook, there's been like four people that died this week. Yeah, it's an epidemic. You know? I, was no, just, I may not have known <laughs> them personally, but... 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've buried a good amount of people. Yeah. We've all have. Uh, I think I've seen a thing last night where it was 72,000 people have died from a drug overdose in 2017. Already? Seven, 72,000. Wow. Since... 2017 or in, in the year in the year 2017 so we're, we're still in 2018 which isn't over yet but yeah there's a there's a sign out in front of this building it's hashtag 2069 that's how many people died in massachusetts and that's not counting the big cities yeah that's so, not counting worcester boston um springfield that's it's it's insane it's only gonna so, climb yeah like you know they talk about the, the all the stuff that they talk about uh, like these shootings or the terrorist attack, you're talking about the numbers are like not even close. No. The numbers of people are dropping dead from drug overdoses are like, you know, fill stadium numbers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, w- they went back through. Um, the, the Massachusetts medical examiners went back through like all the results because they weren't even counting fentanyl deaths. And then they went back and like retested everything and the numbers were like... Astounding. Yeah, it's it's crazy the amount of uh, deaths and overdoses we have had in, in the last couple of years. It's mm. just it's just going to increase until people find a better way or a better solution. Yeah, you yeah. know the people they just they think that they they just want to have fun, want to get a buzz, have a good time. It's right. just not worth it. It's not even close. It's to worth getting it. it's getting younger and younger as as we progress. Yeah, yeah. You know that's I mean? the tragedy too is the people who are doing it who are uh, maybe a little bit older in their 20s, you know, whatever, you know, you, you can't sit there and say that you know, you're not part of something that's trickling down into a kid who's 14 years old right now. Oh, not sticking a, a needle in his arm, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, tremendous. I've worked in the field of recovery and uh, mostly with just adolescents and uh, they come in at 16, 15 years old, and, and they're already shooting heroin. Yeah. This yeah. is years ago, and I can only imagine what it is now. I just hear. Yeah, another big thing uh, for me was, I mean, it, it helped with a lot of the the communicable diseases, but when they made syringes non-prescription, I was in turnabout, I think, and I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be insane. Yeah. Because, like, when I was getting high, you had to find someone that had works. You had to find needles. You had to pay five yeah, bucks a I piece for them. You used to have to go to the needle exchange. Yeah, or go to the needle exchange. Yeah. If you had a car. Like, Drive down to Providence. On my record, that's the only thing drug-related is a hypodermic charge. Really? Yeah. Like, yeah. you used to get charged with them yeah, back yeah, in the day. Cops, when in doubt, would charge you with that if they yep. had nothing on you. Yep. Like, you're yeah. coming with us. But, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Like, that and... Um, what was it back in the day when they used to try to scare you with the mass health thing the three detox law and then you're red flagged oh yeah yeah, years ago yeah they're like oh uh, i don't know oh yeah they back in the day they had this uh they passed a law where if you're not so like if you go to more than three detoxes you're red flagged on mass health and you wouldn't be able to to get get into treatment so you they try to scare you into getting sober oh that doesn't work so no. like they would be like a main group in most detoxes at the time, like CSSs or something like that. Mm. They would try to scare you to get sober at the time, and then once the epidemic happened, that just went right out the window. Yeah. So it's the same thing with with the the needle law. You know what I mean? Yeah. Still in places in California, some of the pharmacies don't let you have uh, needles without prescriptions. Oh really? Yeah. They're going back to it. Good. No, only in certain uh, certain pharmacies. I'm not going to say which ones, but they right. <laughs> 
they're like, you need a prescription. You know what I mean? And uh, you're like, what? What do you mean? Like, we're well, just going to sp- go share a needle then? Yeah. You know what I mean? And the, the homeless epidemic in California is, is uh, ridiculous. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I was out there in the 90s, and it was insane. Yeah. So I can only imagine what it is now. Yeah, it's pretty horrific. But uh, Well, so I can, think, you know, what my experience with homelessness was, and, and I was homeless, and I was uh, yeah. but not on the street necessarily, but I was, you know, in the in the holding at the Kingston House uh, wet shelter. And, and those people are either alcoholic, drug addict, or mentally ill. Yes. Yeah. And those are the things that's going on. Which you know? which the alcohol and drugs can call the, cause the mental illness. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. You know? Right. And you can't di- be diagnosed with a mel- mental illness when you're using drugs every day or alcohol. Or right. Especially uh, people that have wet brain from drinking so much. They oh, yeah, consider yeah. it mental health. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is such a sad state of affairs, yeah. man. I've seen a guy in treatment uh, in a holding drink the hand sanitizer in the bathroom thinking that there was alcohol in it. Yeah. And turn completely gray and have to oh, get to the hospital God. and have a stomach pump. Yeah. That's, that's how bad a wet brain can become. Talk about talk about losing the power of choice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, cr- That's insane. It just looked good at the time. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I mean, Listerine. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, when I was a kid, I drank uh, three bottles of lemon extract. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> high alcohol, too. <laughs> it was like 80% alcohol. Yeah, in yeah. a little tiny bottle little like tiny that big. Bottles, like taking three shots yeah. at really? the age of Yeah. Three. I was like 13. Flavorings 13. have a lot of alcohol in them. We got a ride my, from my friend's mom down to the mall, and she's like, something smells like lemons. <laughs> <laughs> See, I had a full stock uh, liquor cabinet, you know, one of those built-in liquor cabinets in the yeah. triple deckers. I had one of those, so I didn't have to. <laughs> so you have this major bash party for your graduation. Yeah, oh, yeah. big uh, major. So like everything was accessible. Um, and those values that I was prescribed, I, I hid a prescription of them in the in my room, um, not knowing where they were. And I found them that night. And uh, yeah, because you uh, were fucked up when you hid them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I uh, I handed them out as party favors, and yeah. my buddy had uh, zany bars and. It was just a very um, forgetful night, you could yes. say. Yes, yes. So that was, uh, you know, I celebrated uh, graduating high school by the skin of my teeth because I never went to high school, man. I just played hockey. I just yep. would go in there, second period, sell drugs, leave, go play twisted metal, smoke weed, and drink alcohol all day long. Twisted metal. Yeah, right? Uh, I remember that game. And, um, I don't know. What's that? It was like the first. Video game? Or? Yeah, video game. Oh, right. PlayStation 1. Yep. Uh, just like these little cars that you just smash each other with. Yeah, you could upgrade right. them. And, yeah, yeah, the tank. The, the clown, the yeah. ice cream truck yeah. with the clown on top. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> so like that was my my three years of high school experience until I was going to put in a wheelchair. I couldn't really cut class. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> they, they might catch you. <laughs> exactly. So like I got really content with, with like uh, cutting school every day because my, my high school um, hockey coach okie doped uh, grades yeah you know what I mean mm. he had the willpower to tell teachers whether or not they were going to get their lessons today because he ran the printer machines oh and um, back then everything was like basically you know packets and um, nobody really taught you know what I mean yeah so yeah uh, so that was my experience in high school so I graduated by the skin of my te- teeth and um, threw a party for it so I um, after that my Mother uh, divorced my father and sold the house, and uh, I was homeless from that day forth uh, for 
for multiple years before heroin even hit my vein. And um, I just progressed like everything else, man. I, I did the ecstasy days. I did the yeah. acid days. I've done the pill days. And then I just basically, whatever was popular at the time, I would do or sell so I would have free stuff. Same thing yeah. with the alcohol as a kid going in the packing for people. Yep. So it was, uh, If you have what people want, they'll be around. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I was a kid that always had the tap. If you had a keg party, you yeah. would call me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> you know, always wanted to be liked. You know what I mean? Kid, what people thought of me. And, uh, yeah. The, we talk about it in almost every episode is that identity. Yeah. 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 That having that identity and, and, and being accepted or, you know, people wanting you around. Right. Whether it was for what you had or, or whatever, just it, that's what we needed. Yeah, just basically putting the mask on on a daily basis. Yeah, right. Of, Always um, tra- people pleasing. Yeah, exactly. Especially when drugs are involved. You mm-hmm. know what I mean, and um, so things escalated. Um, I started uh, doing more heavier drugs, uh, doing heroin, sniffed it for a little bit. Started shooting it shortly after, and um, you know as I grew with my uh, progression. I've always done criminal acts to maintain my addiction. Yep. Mm. Whether it I was, was drinking or uh, heroin or pills. Like, even as a kid, I used to steal jewelry from my mother to fund my alcoholism. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would buy a keg wow. for the park for everyone so they would like me. You know what I mean? Just trying yep. to be, um, be that guy. You know what I mean? And, um, Things got heavier. I, I started doing bigger and bigger crimes. You know what I mean. I'm um, not going to really say what those financial institutions are because um, <laughs> I have yet to make financial amends on those facts. But um, some of them I have, some of them I haven't, some of them, I'm, all of them, I'm willing to do, um, which is huge on my part. Because years prior in my recovery, I, I would never cross that line, mm. and um, a lot of them consist of. Um, big numbered amends like in the hundreds of thousands of dollars um you're talking like um over 20 to 30 institutions uh wow. i've taken money from yeah uh, forcefully or asking or breaking in uh beanies yep. the whole nine and um you know it all escalated to a point where um i uh got stopped one day uh, i was 27 years old uh, I think it was 2007, and I uh, got stopped by a Randolph police officer. He was a detec- detective at the time, and uh, I was um, put under arrest. They searched my car. They found all sorts of uh, incriminating evidence, like Home Depot stuff. Yeah, because we're, we're not smart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, credit cards, um, everything under the sun. Um, so I basically got charged with that so I was facing uh, uh, 27 counts of larceny over at the time of my arrest wow uh, out of uh, multiple digits. courthouses yeah it was uh, I was always in and <sighs> out of jail uh, short bids as a kid yeah little skid bids yeah little skid bids um, until that that moment in my life my my record exceeded a limit where it was like you're no longer playing with um, kid jails you know what I mean you're going to do prison prison time yeah you know what i mean yep. and um 
Indictments. Indictments, yes. <laughs> Which surely came later. Yeah. And um, I basically, uh, I had no choice but to uh, surrender. At that point in time, that detective called my mother and told him I was a, uh, a junkie. You know what I mean? I shot heroin. And my mother had no clue because I was absent from the presence of my family for that amount of time. Yeah. Being homeless, renting rooms off people, um, so on and so forth. That it was everything but my alcoholism. It was always, uh, uh, I have a gambling problem. I have anxiety problems, so I buy benzos. Like, it just, hmm. it was always something other than the truth. I always yeah, yeah. lied as a kid. So you, so you were like MIA for 10 years? Basically. Uh, I mean, I was there for family events, but I really wasn't there for family events. I was... There to get what you could get and go. Yeah, I basically, uh, I loved, like, Christmas and Thanksgiving because the pocketbooks were always being in one room. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. That was my go-to around oh, Christmas. Man. Or like the gifts that I would pawn off to my dealers that I would get. Yeah. And, um, mm. You know, it got hectic over the time. And um, as, uh, as time exceeded, excuse me, I sat in a holding for months, Tewksbury Holding, uh, awaiting trial. I was on uh, bail and a personal, and, um, and uh, I accepted my fate as it came. So I got physically sober for three months not knowing what sobriety was, uh, hearing people come in and out on commitments and uh, experience, like just sharing what I'm sharing now. And um, it never really clicked to me about what the center of my disease was, you know what I mean? What, what the whole um, mind, body, and mental illness was other till, yeah. up until um, my first sponsor came in and spoke at that time. It was, I didn't know he was going to be my sponsor, but he was a childhood kid of mine that... Uh, I used to sell Klonopins to, and uh, came in. <laughs> you used to sell Klonopins to your yeah. sponsor? <laughs> well, prior to wow. that. Yeah. And, uh, he was a younger yeah. kid, and um, I didn't know he was going to come in with a, a solution, you know, with depth and weight, and that I right. couldn't avoid not knowing what, what the facts were about my alcoholism. Right. I always... Um, you finally heard the truth. Yeah, yeah. Through, finally, just through I, someone else, that's all. Real hard to un- unhear it. Yeah, yeah. I... Um, <laughs> I basically just couldn't uh, I couldn't put time together prior to that um, you know courts really never got me sober my own self will never got me sober I never saw the point of going into detox and then um, mm. up until that time I was forced into it and um, I just accepted what was going to happen at that point I basically just uh, followed suit showed up for court appearances um, my lawyer my um judge at the time was uh, Judge Moriarty, which was infamous for locking people up for a long amount of time mm. on drug charges, but uh, also giving people a fair chance and um, not going back into the system. So I basically, um, between my lawyer and the, the, the judge, I, my lawyer beat every single one of those, those, those uh, charges, the last me over, because I wasn't identified 100%. Uh, being the person that committed that crime, those crimes. And um, I was charged on what was found in my car, which was uh, other felony charges, which was the statements and so on and so forth. I couldn't deny it because I was caught red-handed with it. And uh, she gave me the option to go get sober. She paroled me to a halfway house for a stipulation of a year. Uh, granted that if I gave a dirty urine, I was going to do two and a half on and after. Um, upstate and um, 
I agreed to those terms, and, and my journey of sobriety started then and there. So I was uh, paroled to the Gavin House, Gavin Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, still sat up Tewksbury for another month and a half, um, waiting to get in. And uh, I went there. I was introduced to an AWOL, which most people in Boston kind of know what it is. Yeah, I did like four or five of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it gives you a, a light on what uh, the steps are in a short amount of time. But it's not really working a program. Yeah, it's structured. It's usually 26 weeks. Yeah. You show up every week with a bunch of guys. Like, I know the ones I went to, I would, like, everyone's supposed to do the things at the same time. And, uh, all right, everybody right, finish their fourth and do their fifth. And I'm in a room with 40 guys. I'm not going to be the one to hold everybody up. I'm not going to say, I haven't. I'm going to lie yeah, and say, yeah, absolutely, all done. You know, yeah. the first one I did was with Brother Fred over at Arch Street, and I didn't read one thing out of my notebook. Nothing. Nothing. He's like, ah, you don't need that. Yeah, same and thing I'm like, mine. He's huh? like, just start from the beginning. Yeah. And then, and then he was like, told me what he did as a priest. I'm like, what? <laughs> this is nothing. <laughs> woo yeah, 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 yeah. You know, really. Yeah. Same thing. I did my, own, my fifth step with a priest, and he just said, start from the beginning. You don't need to read that. Yeah. And, um... Granted, I did have a spiritual experience with that yep. work. Yeah. And, uh, mm. My get well job was uh, I was working in a cemetery as a grave digger, right? Yeah. Digging holes for people and putting them in it. And, uh, wow. That's why. Yeah, it was a very humbling experience. Right. And uh, there was just one day that this feeling came over me. Most people call it a pink cloud or a white light experience, but I was very okay with myself. I knew everything was going to be all right. Yeah. You know, that moment yep. where you just, oh, Everything's going to be fine. I'm going to stay sober forever. Apparently, that wasn't the case. Right. Um, mm. So I put a bunch of time together. I put a couple of years, and uh, I uh, started doing small infractions in my sobriety, which jeopardized my mental relapse before I actually picked up. Yeah, those you you start rubber stamping, and all the the little things start to be okay. Like, yeah, justifying ah, fuck, it, I ain't got enough money for these raises. I'm just going to take them. So I was working at the cushion house at the time. Staying clean, uh, living dirty. Yep. And I stole a uh, thing of laundry detergent from them, and they get it from the food bank. Free. Yeah, yep. And I'm working three jobs at the time. I can clearly afford <laughs> laundry detergent. <laughs> yeah. So just by taking that in my actions, it basically later on played out in a mental relapse. So I later crashed my motorcycle, was once again put on painkillers, and I took my will back. As Mona, as, as the moment the doctor says, um, do you have any allergies to this medication? I was like, nope, absolutely not. Yeah. Didn't tell anybody the amount and prescriptions I got, and I basically could have gone one way or the other and i went the other and yeah just that, just li- you lied to yourself is yeah, what you did 100%. right yeah and i lied to everyone else because i basically um took like a three-year medallion high you know what i mean and uh, oh yeah that was the worst yeah it's okay because you prescribed him so yeah you're still I, sober but everyone knew that i was not yeah. off for myself right and, and, uh, and you think nobody knows no exactly 100 percent so um, that proceeded uh, year in and year out um, of relapse and getting sober, putting time together, then taking my will back, putting time together, taking my will back over the last 10 or 11 years, mm-hmm. um, as long yeah. as I've known you. Yeah. you know what I mean, I've basically known people in Boston area that in the AA community just from being sober because no one really knew me getting high unless they were getting high with me. Right. And, um, yeah, because like 
if you aren't around, like no one ever seen you. Yeah, you know exactly. What I mean? For the most part. And, yeah. Uh, so oh, I went to a lot of meetings high, real high. <laughs> I remember spilling coffee on the floor and being like, "Damn it!" And just like walking out of the meeting and just hating myself so much. Yeah, I've know? definitely been meetings high, but um, there would be a point where I didn't have time for that. That was just the beginning stage of relapse. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. right, exactly. When you were actually still looking okay and you weren't strung out to the gills. Yeah, and, and then you're like, I, I can't go to that meeting. Yeah. I got to go cop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you'd go to a meeting and wait for your dealer to call you. Yeah. Uh, or text you. Yep. Dip out early. Yeah, exactly. And hmm. then, um, so. From what I've learned in the prior relapses and sobriety is that I've always, like, got things back rather quickly because I did the work. You know what I mean? I would, like, get a home group, get a sponsor, work the steps, write inventory, get sponsees, do the same with them, and then something else would come into play where, like... Yeah, you always buffed up real quick. Yeah, yeah, I started <laughs> you know? looking good. Immediately yep. started lifting and uh, getting a good job and so on and so forth. And then uh, other things came into play, and I basically put that in front of my recovery, like mm. working more. Uh, yeah. There was a the time my father got diagnosed with cancer, and I put that in front of my recovery. I started showing up for him because I never really had a relationship with him growing up. And then uh, when he deteriorated and died, I was in a bar... For pool for a pool night for pool league, and um, basically right there tells you I shouldn't be in a pool league in a yeah. bar. Yeah, yeah right, Sober. right. <laughs> so I did that for years, and um, when I got that phone call, I had no no defense against the first drink, and I started ordering shots and alcohol, and mm. you know three months later I overdosed in that same bar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, was dead for six minutes on the floor. Wow. I st- still have to pay that ambulance bill off. It's heavily in my financial amends yeah but so <laughs> they're not cheap either yeah no i was like just throw me in the back seat just take me in your own car but um so uh, i basically always put something first i i basically um always took my will back when when things got good you know what i mean to a point compared to like um now where i basically 100 percent full of service um in my sobriety so i i Ventured out into California a couple of years ago and ended up on a farm with a bunch of other guys from Boston and did the same shit I did normally in and out of treatment centers here. So like, yeah, the geographical point, cure yeah, so didn't work. Didn't work. So uh, at the point from when my father died till up till a year ago was like two and a half years in between. I went in and out of treatment centers nonstop. My hustle got shorter. My habit got stronger. I literally was going in and I detox every other week. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, when I would leave the detox, I would have a plan of action, or I'd have a plan of action going into detox. Uh, I'm going to go for five, six days, come out, get a sponsor, work the steps. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, not even 10 seconds after getting in the car or on the train, leaving a treatment center, I was calling my dealer to meet me at the back door of my house. Uh, not knowing that my alcoholism was calling the shots and I had no say in it and then realized like what did I just do and then continue to keep doing that yeah and then knowing that I'm going to do go shoot fentanyl is just playing with a loaded gun in itself yeah and this yeah. is out in California no this is in oh, Boston back here prior so yeah. like I went out to California thinking that it was you know a fancy treatment center and I was gonna stay sober that way and uh was on a farm with a bunch of other guys from Boston, and we just pulled the same shit we normally do in any other treatment center. Just 
you know, there's really nothing to do except for sit with self. And who wants to sit with self? Yeah, catch wreck right. on everybody. Yeah, exactly, and, when you, you have know. no solution. There was a gym that we worked out at. There was a medicine cabinet that we stole med from. And uh, we just basically did the same old, same old. So when I came back here, I relapsed immediately. Yeah. And, um, I had no solution then. I can't. I went to my brother's wedding. It was all you can. It was an open bar. So I mean, who wouldn't? So that that night, I didn't get drunk. I probably had ten or eleven uh, hard drinks, and I didn't get buzzed. Not even drunk. So I just stopped drinking. And I, I don't know what it was. Maybe um, it was the suboxone I sniffed a half an hour prior that kept me from getting drunk. But <laughs> it could have been a bunch of other things. But um, I continued to go in and out of treatment centers from that day forth, and. Uh, um, out of those two and a half years, I had a month of sobriety out in California. So I thought that was my key was sunshine. You know yeah. what I mean? I was sick of uh, the winter here. And I uh, need vitamin D. Yeah, exactly. is what I need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I basically went, brilliant. Went back out to California and um, went into those high end treatment centers. Man, your own room, your own bathroom, your own TV, your own doctor. Like, yeah. This isn't a twelve-step program. This works. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> on those bases. Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. Later, I found out, you know, what they're really about, and um, so I moved on. I basically had this approach on, like, I'm just gonna go with the flow and not run my own will and be teachable, and uh, that worked up until uh, I took my will back. You know yeah. what I mean, I got put in a program where I didn't think they were running it. Uh, accordingly to my standards. Yeah. Because so, you know how a treatment center yeah. should be run. You've been in a bunch of them. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I moved to a, a better treatment center that had no, um, no, you basically just did what you wanted. Yeah, no structure. No structure. And I relapsed in there a bunch of times, put some time together. And uh, as I was there, uh, going on my way to work, I got that phone call that my brother uh, took his own life. And, uh, mm. It was, wow. he, he was an alcoholic too. I mean, he was more of an addict than anything, but um, he was he's an occasional weekend crack smoker, so to say. He, yeah. He smoked mm. crack on the weekends because he would not rob us steal to supply his addiction mm-hmm. during the week. You know what I mean? So, yeah, he'd just work and spend his paycheck on it. So, yeah, um, I did that for a while. Yeah. Just spend your whole paycheck in a night. So the only time he actually awful. had uh, a lot of sobriety was over a year when he saw me get my year. He kind of just didn't go to meetings or nothing. He just stopped... I brought him to my first year celebration. He just kind of stopped and did his own thing. And uh, he had a very big uh, mental illness problem and uh, bipolar, schizophrenic. But uh, mm. he took his own life. He was, uh, he thought, you know, better off dead would be better than living. Yeah, and, 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 and you you hear it all the time. You know, like we're so caught up, and like we know that there's something that works, yet. At that moment, that seems like the best choice. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a permanent yeah. solution to our temporary, temporary problems. Problem. I've right. crossed that bridge a couple of times. Oh man, I've been Obviously. there. Like I, there was so many times. This is how I know. Like my higher power looked out for me. There was so many times that I put enough dope in the needle that I know it was gonna work, and something always happened. Whether it was the cop showed up, the girl showed up, and she wanted half. The work broke. Like, yeah. at the time, that was the worst thing that could absolutely happen. But, like... It saved I, your life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, right. it steered me where I needed to go to get where I am. Mm-hmm. You know? I know what you mean. I've definitely crossed that bridge a bunch of times. Yeah. 
Excuse me. So, um, so what the question in my mind right now is how did you react to that? Because that's a horrific event in life. And you can either go one or two ways. You can learn from it or you can dive deeper. Yeah. So I basically uh, was numb. I numbed it up until I got home, uh, not knowing that was the last time I was going to get high um, uh. or drunk. I, I uh, had a moment of clarity. I seen the heartache it caused on my family my, mm. and mm. his friends and uh, knew that that should have been me that was dead and not my brother because I was the one that was playing Russian roulette on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. And he wasn't. So I. Uh, and then you get the survivor's guilt and, you know, so that was kind of like a rock bottom for me. I had a moment of clarity, and um, I got desperate real quick. And uh, I basically went back to California, not knowing what I was going to do. Uh, I landed at 10 o'clock at night, found out my insurance was canceled, and uh, the place I was staying at for the last six months said, you're no longer welcome. Can't even sleep on the couch. So I was uh, homeless out in L.A. for a week until um, this man gave me an opportunity of a lifetime. He took me in. Uh, in a sober living with a dirty urine, uh, told me in a couple of weeks I had to produce a clean urine. Um, I had to do simple things like go to a meeting every night, uh, stick my hand up and say I was new, and, and shake people's hands. And uh, he was an active member of my home group is today. And um, so I did that. Uh, I was, I was, I didn't have this fancy treatment center anymore. I was kicking Suboxone, Zany Bars, alcohol, uh, heroin, in a six-by-nine room in 110 degrees and no air-conditioned. Which, uh, which any one of those, kicking any one of those is dangerous in itself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you To kick die. all of those. At the same time. Yeah. You could definitely die from that. So I was um, so fearful to leave the house that I would probably get high or go into a seizure that I only left during meetings. Yeah. Until I was able to uh, function. Um, couldn't even hold a cup of coffee or smoke a cigarette because um, it gave me more anxiety. So I, I quit all of those for the most part mm. um, for a mm. long time. And um, I basically uh, jumped in both feet. I said, listen, Chris, what are you going to do? Are you going gonna to get active in your sobriety or are you going to die yeah. and get buried? Like I wouldn't even be lucky enough to come back in a casket. I would be put in a box made of ashes and put on a shelf somewhere in my mother's house. Um, yeah, right. For the most part. I I'm, I'm wasn't even fortunate enough to get in, put into a casket and shipped back. It's a very expensive to ship a body home these days. Yeah, right. Um, I know because I've had friends die out in California and had, the parents had to do the same thing. So I basically, um, I got really active really quickly, man. I found a sponsor that was... Uh, a tech in one of the sober livings I was in and uh, had him take me to the steps. He came and met with me every weekend and uh, I wrote inventory. I went through the 12 steps within the first three months of my sobriety and, uh, you know, I wrote a fourth, did a fifth with him. Uh, didn't leave anything off of it. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I did an eighth and my ninth step was like my first trip back home was... Uh, to be of service to my family. My brother Patrick was, was getting surgery to remove a tumor from his brain. I didn't think anything wow. was going to be of him after that. I didn't think it was a very 50-50 uh, chance with him, so I had to make an amends to him beforehand. Mm. And uh, that's where my amends process was my first trip back home. So I, um, 
I started doing that more thoroughly. I've made amends to my family prior in the past, but not as deep and thorough as I did this time. Yeah. And I went back over all the amends with my family members and people I've harmed and uh, financial institutions and people I owed money to and so on and so forth. And these are the things that I never really fully did through my step work prior yeah. to investigation. I've done like the family amends, but never to like willing to walk into a situation where I'm going to do a lot of time over. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, could be facing anywhere between 10 to 12 years on each charge and and not knowing, but I'm willing to do so. But my sponsor tells me otherwise. Like, listen, you need to hold off on this for now. You're just newly sober. Granted, yeah. I just got a little bit, I got I have a little over a year right now. Mm. And um, I, uh, take his suggestions man because he started from day one with me and he saved my life he, he put me into action he's like go get uh four commitments meaning like in california commitment is like a job is what we call here yeah yeah so like a commitment huh. they call it a commitment because you're committed to that for yep. the whole year oh wow. um show up an hour early shake everyone's hand um go out to fellowship um you know what i mean i basically did everything that was asking him no questions asked yeah he took the suggestions so i basically had no compassion for myself coming into sobriety um this man showed me love and compassion so i learned love and compassion yep nice for myself and for another human being and um as i got got more into this program i started getting more active man i got my my home group's a very active group they're um the, my main group on Wednesday night consists of minimum of 700 people. It's one of the largest wow. meetings in the world on a weekly basis. Wow. <laughs> Imagine uh, making the coffee for that group. Yes. <laughs> so it's yeah. pretty horrendous that your commitments could be anywhere from a five-minute commitment to an hour-long commitment where you're uh, st- standing on the sidewalk making sure nobody parks in that neighborhood, you know, so, yeah. so on and so forth. Yeah. So, and then you, so this program uh, was designed for the Skid Row. Oh, really? Homeless people. A guy that invented this group, uh, Clancy, which has 60 years of sobriety, he uh, started this group. It was called the Pacific Group. And um, we have an Atlantic group in New York, and we have a couple of runoff meetings in Boston as well. But uh, this meeting was basically designed, so seven days a week, there's seven meetings. Um, all the same regular attendees so you get to know your fellows yeah, yeah. build a foundation like how here they tell you to go to the same meetings every week so you can get to know the people there yep. so yeah. day in and day out you see these people on a regular basis and you shake their hands and uh, you show up an hour early yeah and you stay late and you don't realize like how much service can change what you do I, I know people that have been in AA for years and they don't even know what like a GSR is or mm. You know, yeah. it's like, what do you what do you mean? It's like, no, this this is only a part of it. Like, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that you have no idea about. You know, and like when I got involved in service, it definitely changed my sobriety, yeah, and my recovery. You know, it put me on on a, a better even playing field for for living a life on life's terms. Yeah, you know what I mean. Hence the is. name, there life on life's it. terms. <laughs> so, right. so, yeah. I basically just uh, got really active. That's how I ended up here, man. I, I saw my buddy Sully um, at my old home group 
yeah. a month ago. And uh, so you're out. You just moved back here from California. Is that what it is? No, I still live on California. Oh, you live in California. You're out here visiting. I flew here mainly to speak last Friday. Oh, cool. So um, nice of service. Um, and then I've been of service since I've been here. I got asked to do a commitment at my old treatment center, and uh, I was a frequent member of. Yeah. Nonstop in there. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. a rotating door, and um, I got asked to do this, which I was. More than happy to do. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm glad. I I've I've watched you for years, you know, and it's painful to watch, you know, someone, someone that come in, that, yeah, out. someone yeah. come in and out, in and out, in it's and tough. out, you know, because you know, eventually one of these times they're not going to come back in, yeah, that's you know, right. and and it's it sucks, you know, yeah. but I'm really proud of you. I'm glad that you're doing well. Yeah, you know? fantastic. I'm doing all right. You know, I'm Keep okay with self, man. I yeah, wish. and that's. That's the thing. That's Once you're huge. okay with you, everything else yeah, ain't no big deal. That's yeah, everything else just takes care of itself. Yeah. Yep. I basically just uh, live life on life's terms on a daily basis. You know what I mean? I, I, I trust in faith. You know what I mean? Yeah. When, yeah. I, when I, um, I say this phrase to myself all the time is if um, anytime I worry, I have lack in faith. Mm-hmm. Anytime I have lack in faith, I have fear. Fear of what? Fear of the unknown. Fear of not having enough work, not keeping my guys busy. Fear of relapse. Like so, I just trust in faith, knowing that everything's gonna be all right as long as I put one foot in front of the other on a daily basis and just take, take action. The next, take action, man. The next right action. I just, yeah. I just show up, suit up, show up, and take action, um, and mm. everything just plays out perfectly. Yeah. Not perfectly. There's a lot of road bumps. Like I've been back and forth for a lot of family issues and stuff like that, but. You know but I mean? but you can do that. Yeah, exactly. Right, showing it's up. It's not like I have to go. I no, get you, to go. Yeah, you That's have right. that privilege. Yeah, you That's know, right. it's awesome. Really, really, uh, really good to have you here. And yeah, thanks. Thanks know. a lot. Yeah, no problem. This Shout out right. to Sully. You'll be on here. We did a we did a full hour, boys. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, just in time. Nice stuff. So yeah. Thanks for letting me. Yeah, be part of my recovery and part of other people's. And yeah, absolutely. Thanks yeah, you said you had some people out there it. that wanted to tune in too. So I hope they're out there and they're sharing. Um, you can find us on lolterms.com. We're also on iTunes, Google Play. Google Play, yeah. Please subscribe, support us. Uh, YouTube. We got dreams of doing big things with this. Yes. Um, to help people. Absolutely. We want to. We want to do what we can and to help the recovery community and. You know, give the people the chance that we had. That's right. Exactly you know, right. Give give people the chance that we had. So uh, that's it. I think that's a wrap, guys. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thank you. That's a wrap. Peace. Peace. I live in this